Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4. We're going to read there in verse 11, 2 Timothy, chapter 4. Um, while you're turning there, I just want to mention a couple of things. Next week is the membership class. I teach the membership class every so many weeks. And if you uh, want to join our church, you can do it through the class. Or if you'd just like to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come. Let us know that you're coming, whether you're online or in person. Let us know that you're coming. You can, if you're here, fill out a connection card and say that you just put membership class there and we'll know that you're coming. And then the week after that, two weeks from today, is a baptism night. I'll do baptisms that night in the Kids Life Center. Um, it's kind of an intimate venue for us. And if you've trusted Christ as Savior and would like to follow in Believer's Baptism, let us know and uh, just fill out a connection card. Let us know online and we'll sign you up for that. And I, just, I bet there are a, a, a number of you, a lot of you here who have not followed as a, in baptism as a believer and, you're, and you'd like to. And so if you'll let us know, we'll do that special night two weeks from tonight. Well, open your Bibles to... 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to read just one verse. In fact, not even the whole verse. And you're saying to yourself, well, it'll be a short sermon. It doesn't work that way. I'm, just, I'm telling you, I can make long sermons out of uh, short passages. So will you, will you look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. I'm going to start right in the middle of that verse. The Bible says, I think they'll put it on the screen. There it is. Bring Mark with you. Let's start right there. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. Bring Mark with you for he's useful to me in the ministry. Now this man, Mark, or sometimes we call him John Mark, is um, an interesting man in the Bible. And that little verse, at the end of Paul's life, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I need you to come, bring your cloak, bring the cloak, winter's coming, bring the parchment so I can have access to God's word. But he said, when you come, would you bring Mark with you? For he's useful to me in the ministry. At the end of his life, that's what Paul says. It wasn't always that way with John Mark. So I want to follow chronologically the story of John Mark through the Bible. And I'm going to read primarily from the book of Acts. You're welcome to open the book of Acts and follow along as we go. I'll put them on the screen as well. And I want you to see the story chronologically of the story of John Mark and what we know about him. So let's go to Acts chapter 12 and we're going to read beginning with verse 11. The Bible tells us that Peter's been imprisoned and James was martyred for his faith and the church, the early church, organizes a prayer meeting for Peter who's been imprisoned and they begin to pray and they're asking God to intervene and God sends an angel and Peter thinks it's a dream at first and then he's released from prison. Let's pick it up in verse 11 of Acts chapter 12. The Bible says when Peter came to himself he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this he went to the house of Mary the mother of John who was called Mark where many had assembled and were praying. So here's John Mark, Mark, called, those names can be confusing. And when the church, when the early church says, we're going to pray, we're going to gather and pray for Peter, they meet in the house of his mother. He's got a praying mother. Some of you have a praying mother. There's a power to a praying mother, a praying grandmother, a praying father, a grandfather, some relative or friend who loves you so much, they pray for you. There's a power to that. There's a power to prayer. And this mother was a praying woman, and so much so that she gathers the church to pray for Peter specifically. And that can't help but be noticed by a guy like John Mark. At some point along the way, he trusts Christ as Savior, and he sees that this is not just something his parents are sort of like, you know, just pay lip service to, or something that they just, you know, send him off somewhere to learn about. His mother's serious about following the Lord. 
And so, let's skip down in Acts 12 to verse 24. The Bible says, But the word of God spread and multiplied. So the early church grew like crazy. And after they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. So John Mark goes with them when they go to Jerusalem. When Barnabas and Saul leave for Jerusalem, he goes with them. And now skip to chapter 13, the next chapter in the book of Acts. Verse 5. In verse 5, the Bible says, Arriving in Salamis, they, that is Barnabas and Saul, proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and they also had John as their assistant. So now he's not just there with them, but he's called their assistant. They're starting churches. He's assisting. They're sharing the gospel. He assists in that. They're, they're making an impact for God's glory. And John Mark is a part of what God's doing. And then the story turns. Um, in Pamphylia, things don't go that well. Not very many people come to the Lord. And we come to verse 13 of Acts 13. And the Bible says there, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. So we don't know the details. We don't know if he got homesick. We don't know if the work was too hard. We don't know if he got disillusioned. We don't know if it was just too difficult and painful. We don't know if the lack of results, but for whatever reason, here's what we do know. John, John Mark abandoned his post. That's, what Paul, that's how Paul sees it. He abandoned his post. He made a commitment, I'm going to assist you, and now he leaves. I'm going to be involved in ministry, and now he quits. And he turns back and goes back to Jerusalem. And so now, let's skip a long period of time, and we're going to see this man again in Acts chapter 15. There's a long period of time between these events. In Acts chapter 15, we're going to come to verse 36. And Paul and Barnabas have gone on their journeys, and they're going to, let's, let's pick it up now in verse 36. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where, they've, where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Let's make it kind of a renewal. We're going to encourage the people again. And Barnabas wanted to take along John, who was called Mark. Barnabas said, hey, let's take him again. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of God. And he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So you see the picture there. John Mark, uh, somewhere along the way, decides, I'm going to come back. I'm going to get involved again. I want to serve again. And Paul says uh, to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and make visits to all these churches that we've been at. Let's strengthen the disciples. Let's help them to see how important the gospel is. Let's help them to grow faith. Let's help them to be better at their witness. Let's help them to, uh, let's encourage them. Let's help them as they deal with things like persecution and imprisonment and the problems that come with life. And Barnabas says, that's a great idea. I love it, Paul. I'd like to take with us John Mark. And Paul says, I'm, I'm not taking, that guy deserted us. Do you not remember what happened? I mean, he fa failed me once. That's one thing. But now he's going to fail me again. I'm not, not going to take a chance on a guy who has turned his back on a, an important responsibility. And there was such a sharp disagreement. By the way, it's not really a clear answer about right and wrong here. God often uses difficult circumstances in life to bring glory and good 
This is a sharp disagreement between two good, godly men. All I know is this. I don't, I don't really know what the right and wrong answer of it is entirely. We don't have enough details to really be able to fully pinpoint this. But I do know this. Instead of one missionary team, it's two. Paul takes Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. So now years pass. And what happens with John Mark? Well, we see his name again in the book of Philemon, of all places, verse 1, chapter 1 and verse 24. The Bible says this in that book of the Bible. Uh, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke are my co-workers, my co-workers. This is Paul speaking. And so enough time has passed that now he says, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. And then, even later still, chronologically, Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, gives us this word. Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. By the way, we now we're made aware of this close family connection. And then, in parenthetically, it says this, concerning, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. If he comes to you, welcome him. I think Paul knows something about the church of Colossae. The church of Colossae would have heard, this is the guy, you know, John Mark, remember that guy? He, oh, he's the guy who failed, right? The guy who turned his back, the guy who went back home, the guy who said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the Lord and didn't, the guy who made promises he didn't keep. Yeah, that guy. Well, when he comes, you welcome him. Don't hold unforgiveness, don't hold bitterness, you, you welcome him. All the way to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, where Paul himself says at the end of his life, hey Timothy, when you come, bring Mark with you, for he's useful to me in the ministry. I can count on that guy. I'll benefit from him. I need him. It wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. There's kind of four scenes in this play of John Mark's life. There's a good start. John Mark came to know Christ as Savior. He's got a praying mother. Makes a commitment. He says, I'm going to get involved in ministry like every Christian ought to. God, I'm going to use my gifts, my talents, my abilities for your glory. He goes off with Paul and Barnabas. He watches as many people come to faith in Christ. And then comes a second act in that play. And it's a, a spiritual stumble. Some of you know this world very well. You made promises to God at one time. God, I'm going to follow you, you said. But something happened. God, I'm going to live for you. And then you didn't. I'm going to use my gifts, my abilities, my talents, my resources for your glory, God. But somewhere along the way, there was a stumble in your life. A stumble. You turned away from God. You got enamored with the world. You weren't willing to do the hard things. Whatever it was, whatever it was, it was a spiritual stumble. And then came a third act in this play, and it's a second chance. And once again, John Mark has another opportunity. Barnabas takes him along on another missionary journey, even though he's failed in the past. And then we see in the final scene of his life, a matured Christian, where Paul would say about him, he is useful in ministry. Bring Mark with you, for he's useful to me in the ministry. Bring him with you, for he's useful to me in the ministry. Let's look at seven lessons from the life of John Mark. Now, some of you, as we listen to this story, you're going to say, this is me. This is me. Some of you are going to say, this is, you're going to know, you're going to relate to this story very well. 
because you're going to understand what it's like to be in the shoes of this man. Let's look at seven lessons that we can learn from the life of John Mark. Would you write these down if you're watching online or here in person? Number one, write this principle down. You're going to need this one. God uses flawed people. Write that down. God uses flawed people. Flawed people like John Mark. He was flawed before he ever went on the first missionary trip. He was flawed before he went on the second. He was flawed early in his life and flawed late in his life. Flawed people like Barnabas. Flawed, sinful people like Paul. Do you know why God uses flawed people? Because it's the only kind he has. It's the only kind he has. Every person here has sinned against God who is holy. We've all fallen short of God's glory. God uses flawed, failed, sinful people. Some of you know I lived in Texas for a while. And in Texas, I heard a guy say it like this. He said, God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. In Illinois, we say, God uses flawed people. That's how we say it here in Illinois. Like you and like me. And if you say to God, I can't. I know, God, you say I'm supposed to be involved in ministry for your glory, but I can't. I know, God, you say I'm supposed to be an ambassador for you to represent you in this world, to be a witness for you in this world, but I can't. I know, God, you tell me I'm supposed to use my spiritual gifts and talents for your glory, but I can't. If you say to God who calls you, I can't, it's saying more about your belief in God than it is about your belief in you. Because God uses flawed people all the time. The only kind of people he has are people who have fallen and failed. Now, we don't take that lightly. We don't take sin lightly. We don't ignore that. But God uses flawed, failed people all the time. And somehow we've gotten in our mind, you know, the only people who can be involved in ministry are the perfect kind. And, of course, there are no perfect kinds save the Lord Jesus himself. The only people who can be a witness are people who are, who are perfect. There are no perfect people save the Lord Jesus himself and people who have been declared by the shed blood of Jesus perfect by his merits. There's a second principle I want you to write down. And that is ministry. Write this down. You're going to need this. Ministry isn't always easy. It isn't always easy. Some of you thought, man, this would be easy. Nothing to it if I serve God. John Mark might have thought, you know, ministry is going to be great because everybody is going to be excited. I mean, I'm around Christians, and they're all going to be perfect, and they're never going to be grumpy, and they're never going to have a bad day, and they're never going to see things differently than I see them, and I'll just, maybe just kind of an idealized uh, view of ministry. And of course, when we share the gospel, people are always going to respond. They're going to be so happy that we told them the message. Nobody's ever going to turn from the Lord. Nobody's ever going to have a problem. There's no, not going to be any difficulties. Listen, many people have looked at ministry like that, and then they get involved in ministry themselves, and they find out, you know what? I've volunteered to teach vacational Bible school. You know what? I'll bet those kids all listen to everything I have to say. They'll be so excited to hear what I have to say. They're going to be sitting on the edge of their seats, and then you find out ADD is a real thing. <laughs> not everybody cares. I mean, it's not all kids come and really super excited about learning about the Bible. There's two reasons why I think two, the two hardest parts of ministry are these, I think. The, the first hardest part is getting started. For many people, they've never gotten started in any kind of ministry. They've never used their gifts, talents, abilities, resources, etc. for God's glory. And that first step is such an important one. 
when they finally figure out that God uses flawed people, they finally say, yes, getting started is the hardest step. But there's a second hardest part, and it's really close to the first. And that is that getting started is hardest. Staying started is a close second. Staying started. Because at some point, ministry gets hard. At some point, you're dealing with flawed people in ministry. And flawed people sometimes act like flawed people. And even among good and godly people, there's sometimes sharp disagreements. And not everyone is living a good and godly life. And people don't always respond as they ought to. And I just want you to know, going in, if you're considering, God, I know I should use my gifts, talents for your glory. I want you to know, going in, it's not always going to be easy. We don't go into ministry because it's easy. We do what God wants us to do because it's right, not because it's easy. You, you see birds flying in the sky and you say, oh my goodness, they're so beautiful. It looks so effortless and they're, they're amazing what birds can do. But we forget about the migration of so many birds. There's a, there's a bird in our area part of the year called the indigo bunting. It's this magnificent bird, beautiful bird. And when you see that bird, you say, oh my goodness, it'd be awesome to be able to fly like that. What a beautiful thing. Not realizing that that bird travels from its home in South America all the way to here and farther north still. Hundreds of miles. Great difficulties and great challenges. But somehow we think ministry is always going to be easy. Maybe that's what happened with John Mark. Everyone's always going to respond as they ought to. People are always going to say yes to Jesus. People are always going to repent of their sins. Christians are always going to get along well. And it'll always be smooth and easy. As though we've forgotten the first principle that God uses flawed people because it's the only kind he has. There's a third principle I'd like you to note with me. Choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. You need this one. Get this down. Choices have consequences. John and Mark's choices affected Paul. His choices affected Barnabas. And his choices affected John Mark. What you do or don't do affects you and others. What you do affects you and others. And before we go on to the second chances part, and we need to get to that part, of course, let's acknowledge this truth that though God forgives and God cleanses, our choices have consequences. Real damage can be done. You can sort of understand why Paul would not trust John Mark, right? You can sort of understand this. How do we gain trust? Well, we gain trust by being trustworthy. And if we stop being trustworthy, it's hard to trust. Because choices always have consequences. The path you're on is leading somewhere. The seed you plant is yielding some sort of harvest. And your choices are leading to consequences. Don't ignore the consequences of sin. Don't say, listen, I'll just do whatever I want because God is able to forgive anyway. What does it matter? It always matters. It always carries consequences. There's pain involved with sin. There's damage involved with sin. And even though the Lord can forgive, we never get those chances back again. Once that chance is over, it's gone forever. And John Mark, for all the things he would do later, would never get to replay that aspect of his life and that time in his, in his ministry career. Choices have consequences. Note that for yourself. Note that for yourself. Because many Christians live as though sin doesn't matter. Christians, I'm saying. Not only people who don't know Christ as Savior, as though sin is no big deal, 
as though it doesn't matter, as though it isn't costly. There's a fourth principle I want you to get. Second chances don't come easily. In Acts 15, Barnabas comes to Paul with this great idea. Hey, let's take the kid back. And, and let's give him a second chance. And Paul says, I'm not, gonna, I'm not giving him a second chance. Not in this case. Because Paul understands this general principle, which you need to understand in life as well. Past performance is the best indicator of future performance. So if I wonder what someone's going to do in the future, the best indicator is their past performance. Past performance is the best indicator of future performance. So Paul, of course, has some natural doubts about this, serious doubts. This guy quit. And because he quit in the past, he's probably going to quit in the future. There's a good indication. The past performance says he quits. That's a good indicator of what will happen in his future performances. Except that, I want you to note a couple of things here. Two things you ought to note. Number one, God can fully forgive. I want you to note this. God can fully forgive. The message of the gospel is that God is able to forgive us, fully forgive us. And that happens because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay for my sin, which leads to death. The blood of Jesus is sufficient payment for my debt. So my forgiveness can come because Jesus Christ died for me. He shed his blood in my place, and that's why I can have forgiveness of sins. And God is able to forgive. And if you're lost, listen, I want you to, I want you to give your life to Christ. You maybe tried everything else. You said, I'll try to be good enough. It'll never, you can never be good enough. I'll try harder. You'll never be able to try hard enough. I'll be religious. I'll, I'll, do, I'll go to the right things and do the right activities. But the Bible tells us only the blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay for our debt. And Jesus' blood, by the way, is sufficient, absolutely sufficient to pay for the penalty of our sins. And you can be forgiven, not because you're perfect, because you're a flawed person like all the rest of us, but because Jesus Christ, the only perfect one, paid the debt that was yours and died in your place, and you can be forgiven. And can I just take one step further? For those of you who are lost who need to be saved, I'm praying today you'll give your life to Christ. But Christians, some of you have trusted Christ as Savior, and you have doubted God really forgave you, that God's really powerful enough to forgive sin. And I'm telling you, the blood of, Je of Jesus Christ is sufficient for your sins. I'm not saying your sins are no big deal. Quite the contrary. I'm saying the blood of Jesus is sufficient. Don't take sin lightly. Don't take it lightly. Don't excuse it as though it's no big deal that Jesus' blood would have to be shed for you. But I'm telling you, he can fully forgive. And you can trust him on this. And he can declare you holy and righteous, not by your merit, but by his merit. But there's another thing I want to say about second chances. God can change lives. God can change lives. I said past performance is the best indicator of future performance. But it's not the only indicator of future performance. Did you know that? Past performance is a pretty good indicator of what you're going to do in the future, but it's not the only indicator. Because there is a God who can change lives, and he can change you. He can change your heart. He can change your life. And you don't have to stay where you are. 
You don't have to stay defeated. He is able to forgive. He is able to change lives. And he can change who you are deep on the inside. And if you will go to him in full repentance, God is able to forgive. And he's able to change. And some of you need to know that. You're here today because you need to hear that truth. That God wants to change you on the inside. Even some of you who are believers who have been forgiven of the penalty of sin ultimately in salvation. You have not allowed God to fully do his work in you. And God wants to do that work through you. So don't, don't think second chances are easy. It's no big deal. So it's no, it doesn't matter. No, the blood of Jesus is the means by which we can have a second chance. But God can change who you are and who you become. Now, there's a fifth principle I want you to note. Would you note, everyone needs an encourager. Everyone needs an encourager. And we come to the story of a man named Barnabas. And it's an, it's an incredible story. This man, Barnabas. Barnabas has another name, you may know, but he is called Barnabas because that means son of encouragement. Almost every time you see Barnabas in the New Testament, he is encouraging someone. He's the guy who encourages the church at Antioch when Antioch's going through all kinds of problems. And they, I mean, brand new, that's where people were first called Christians. These, these Christians who were so serious about faith that people could see Christ in them. And people said, that those guys are like Christ. We'll call them Christians. Barnabas came to them, encouraged them. Barnabas is the guy who took in this man who was a persecutor of the faith and put people to death and thrown them in prison. And then this guy came to know the Lord as Savior and he started growing in his faith and he came back to Jerusalem and nobody in Jerusalem trusted him. And Barnabas said, hey, we're going to believe in this man. We're going to believe, we're going to, we're going to love him. We're going to encourage him. And he brought him into the church. That man was a man named Paul. And Barnabas was the guy who brought him. Barnabas was the guy who gave him that critical early encouragement. And everyone, everyone needs an encourager. All of us need an encourager. God made us with that need. Coaches tend to follow in, to kind of fall, coaches tend to fall in two different kind of general categories. On the one hand, there are those who tear down and tell you how terrible you are and maybe question your parentage. And on the other hand, there are those who build up and encourage. And I, listen, I, need, uh, I needed a coach who would tell me what I did wrong. I needed one who would challenge me to do my best. I needed someone who would push me when I didn't feel like being pushed or want to be pushed or didn't think I had any more left. I am thankful for coaches like that. But I needed coaches who could build up and encourage. Even as a grown man, I needed that. And I'm telling you, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And there are some of you here who are so desperately in need of encouragers. Man, I am so thankful for encouragers in my life. People who have loved me, who have believed in me, who have seen in me what I did not see in myself. And I'm reminded through this that I need to be an encourager, that I'm not alone. And the message of the gospel is, did you know it's called good news? It's not just where we've done wrong. God tells us the truth about where we do wrong. He calls sin, sin. He doesn't change it. But God is, it's good news because God is an encouraging God. And you need some encouragers in your life. One of the reasons I talk about life groups so frequently, our small group Bible studies, is because that's probably the place where you will find an encourager in your life. And it's probably the place where you will be an encourager 
to someone. Principle number six. You ought to write this one down. Failures don't have to be final. Did you know that? Failures don't have to be final. The world says you are defined by your failures. That's what the world says. You are defined by your mistakes. You're defined by your sins. But I want you to know failures don't have to be final. They don't have to be final. You don't have to be defined by the mistakes of your life. John Mark did not have to live the rest of his life as the guy who quit. He didn't have to be defined that way. He didn't have to be defined by his failure in that important moment in his life. You don't have to be defined by that. Maybe there was a time when you were more serious about your faith and you've drifted from the things of God. Maybe there was a time when you made promises to God, I'm going to live for you, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do, and you didn't keep those things. And the enemy has said to you, listen, that's just the way you are. You failed, and you'll always be a failure. But that's not what God says. In 1990, there was this, boxing was huge still in, in those years. And in 1990, Mike Tyson was the baddest man alive. He was just a, he was incredible. Just, just destroying the boxing world. And he had a, a boxing match against a guy named James Buster Douglas. 42 to 1 odds against him. 42 to 1. And so the match began. It was in Tokyo. Match began and the Douglas, uh, he took it seriously. He trained hard. He took it seriously. He was well prepared. Mike Tyson had not taken it as seriously. And, and Douglas did a you know, pretty doggone good job. I mean, he was really winning the card and doing a, a fine job and putting some paint on this beast, Mike Tyson. But Mike Tyson then in the eighth round did what Mike Tyson did to people. He hit him in the face and he knocked him to the, knocked him to the canvas. And Buster Douglas went down like so many guys before him had gone down. But he did something different. As the referee started counting for the knockout, he got back up. He got back up. Unfortunately for him, it was near the end of the round, and he went back to his corner. Tyson came out ready to end it all in the ninth round and didn't. And then in the tenth round, the unthinkable happened. And Buster Douglas knocked out the greatest boxer of his day in what some call the greatest upset in sports history. And I'm telling you, there's an enemy who is fighting against you, and he's good. I'm telling you, he's good. The enemy is experienced. The enemy is clever in his own way. The enemy is ferocious. And he knows what he's doing. And he is going to do everything he can to knock you down. And some of you, he has done really a fine job of that. And he's knocked you flat. And the world said, stay down. Maybe you've got people in your corner even said, stay down. You, you can never do anything. Don't get too crazy about this ministry stuff. Don't get too crazy about this serving God stuff. Stay down. But God in heaven is reminding you that by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, you can get back up. 
and God can do a work in you and through you, and your failure does not have to be final. Now, we don't ignore our failures. We don't pretend them away. We ought to be honest with the truth of who we are and what we've done and where we've been. But God, does. he says to us, we're not defined by that. And some of you have allowed the failures of your past to define you. You've said, that's just the way I am. As though God can't change lives. That's just who I am. As though God can't change you. As though God doesn't have that kind of power. And God, the Holy Spirit, is reminding you, encouraging you even, get back to your feet. Failures don't have to be final. Some of you are here because you needed that word. You needed that truth. And there's a seventh principle I want you to get. Your story isn't over yet. Your story isn't over yet. Had it ended with chapter 13, we'd have said, well, there's another example of a guy who starts well but finishes poorly. But it didn't finish. And your story isn't over yet. Not as long as you're able to hear this message. Your story isn't over yet. God still wants to do a work in you. God still wants to use you. While we can't know for sure, the earliest traditions say, and I believe it's the most probable view, that John Mark wrote a book that we call the gospel according to Mark. And while we can't know fully till we get to heaven, the earliest traditions say, it seems to me the most probable, probable view is that God in his sovereignty would use of all the people that he could have used a man who fell down but through the encouragement of others got back up to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the gospel according to Mark. Your story's not over yet. And some of you have been knocked down and you've fallen down and you've failed and you know full well when I say flawed people, God uses flawed people, you've said, that's me, I know that's me. But your story isn't over yet. And God wants to do a work in you and through you and with you and for you to the glory of his name. And God uses people like that all the time. Don't stay down, get back up. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we pray, I want to encourage you in two ways. If you don't know Christ as Savior, I'm urging you to give your life to Christ. I'm pleading with you to trust Him as Savior. Repent of your sin. Place your trust in Christ and be saved. You won't be saved by your goodness. You can't be saved by your religious efforts. Give your life to Christ and His blood is sufficient to save you. He died for you. You can be saved because of what He's done for you. Trust Him as Savior. And Christians, some of you are here because God in heaven wanted you to hear this message. And it's for you. God is saying to you, I want you to know that I'm the God of second chances, that I haven't forgotten who you are or what you can be, that I haven't stopped loving you or caring about you or wondering what's best for you. Some of you have made promises to God in the past that you haven't kept. And you've said, God, I'm going to follow you. And then you didn't. And you've stumbled and fallen and failed. And the enemy has said to you, you, you need to stay down. But God brought you here because he wants you to get back up, to grow in your faith to serve him faithfully, to use the life that he gives you from this point forward to bring glory to his name and impact for his kingdom. Would you say yes to him? Would you say, God, I'm going to be honest about the flaws of my past and the failures. I'm not going to hide him from you, heaven forbid, or from me. 
but I believe you're big enough for me to get back up by your power. And God, you can use me for your glory. And so God, I can't change one thing about my past, but I'm going to live for you in my future. I'm going to live for you in my future. And there are many of you, that's what God is just pouring into your heart right now. He's saying, come on, come on, get back up and follow me. Father, thank you for the powerful story of this John Mark. Like so many, we, so many of us can relate to this. He started well, but he fell. He, he made commitments he didn't keep. He had plans and purposes, but he didn't follow through. So Lord, would you use this in our life to remind us of where we are, to be honest about where we are ourselves. And Lord, I thank you for a guy like Barnabas who helped him to get back up, a cousin who said, come on, you can, you can do it. I see in you what you don't see in yourself. Lord, thank you for people in our lives like that. And Lord, help us to be that for others. But Lord, I'm praying for men and women, young people here today to, to spiritually get back up and to say, I'm going to follow you. And we thank you that you are the God of second chances. And you are able to fully forgive and fully use. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' holy and powerful name. Amen and amen.